Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. What I wanted to share with you this morning is very similar to what we talked about the last time I was here. How many of you remember what we taught and ministered on? Anyone? Those of you who've taken notes, I see you looking at your notes. We, we talked about how the Lord prepares us for what He has prepared for us. That, that before God begins to work through you, he first works in you, then He works through you. That's the principle. And the principle of preparation that we talked about last time has to do with aligning our hearts and our minds with His will and with His purposes. Now, <clears throat> as I have mentioned, the greater the calling on your life, the more severe the testing and the preparation will be. And some of us are in various trials today. Now listen to, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say. We are in various <coughs> tests and trials today, perhaps, as a result of the prayers we prayed yesteryear. For instance, God, I want to be more like you. Lord, I want to become more fruitful in your kingdom. Those prayers are very, very, very dangerous prayers to pray, because when you begin to pray that way, then the testing or the trials that you will encounter could be more severe, because you want to be more like Jesus. So He will place you in situations where you have an opportunity to exercise your faith and to become more and more like Him. So today we're going to talk about the value of pressure, the value of tests, the value of trials in our walk of faith. Do they have any value? In themselves and by themselves, no. It's how you respond to them that you begin to see the value of these tests and trials. The height of course, and the majesty of any building is determined by the foundation. The taller the building, the deeper and the stronger the foundation needs to be. I recall many years ago when I accepted Christ, and out of nowhere, this persecution arose from every corner, from within my family, from outside my family, and I couldn't understand what was happening to me and what was going on. And I recall when I asked the Lord, Lord, what's happening? And the Spirit of God spoke up and He said, because of the call of God on your life and because of the destiny I have prepared for you, the enemy wants to uproot you while you're young in the faith. If he can succeed to uproot your faith and cause you to renounce your faith now, he has a victory over you. 
So that strengthened me, that encouraged me, because I understood what the enemy was trying to do. And as a result, I drew closer and closer to the Lord. And he strengthened and encouraged me to be able to stand during the difficult times. Now, we see this, this, this principle of, of the, the process of preparation that God takes us through throughout the scriptures, and we talked about it both in the Old as well as in the New Testament. We looked at the life of Joseph, we saw the life of Moses, and also the children of Israel, how God was preparing them for what he prepared for them. We also see this principle at work in the life of John the Baptist, whom the Word says he became great in the sight of the Lord. John the Baptist was not born great. He became great as a result of the preparation that he received while he was in the desert places. And um, in Luke 1, verse 13 through to 17, it says, For he will be, talking about John the Baptist, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And so, in verse 8 he says, And so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation. Notice that the child John grew and became strong in the deserts until he was ready and prepared to step into his life's assignment. One could say that the deserts is the school from which every believer must graduate before he or she can move into fulfilling the divine call and purpose God placed on their lives. It's, it's, your, it's your education period. It's your training period. And the, propos, the process of preparation is vitally important, yet few realize it. Instead of embracing their wilderness experience and submitting to the process because they do not understand it, they rebel against it. As a result, only few graduate from the desert. That is why the scripture says, many are called, are few though chosen. I know that part of this ministry's calling is to help people become great in the sight of the Lord. The discipling they receive, it's not an easy one. That's why uh, uh, we will never have a large crowd in our church. People come and go all the time. Because the type of training and discipling and teaching they receive, for some of them, is not acceptable. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? That is why scripture says many are called, few are chosen. When God brings a person to me and I take a special interest in discipling that person, 
I have seen it through the years. The people that I personally mentored and discipled today are the most fruitful disciples this ministry has discipled. They are few, they're not many. So the process of preparation is important. Your wilderness experience, your, your deserts, the, the path that God takes you through might not be an easy path. It might be difficult. It might be challenging. But you know what? Nothing happens to you that God did not permit it in your life. You need to understand that. That everything that happens in your life has one purpose. That is to make you more like Christ. Even the difficult things that you go through. Even those pressures that you face, that you lift up your hands sometimes and you say, Lord, I can't take this anymore. It's killing me. <coughs> well, that's God's intention to kill you so that he can resurrect you and learn to flow with his grace and in his grace rather than in your own self-efforts. And so many try also to rush this process. They get in a hurry. They get impatient only to be met with disappointment and failure. There is a season for everything in your life. There are seasons of testing and trial, but there are seasons of fruitfulness as well. There are seasons of pruning in your life, and there are seasons of fruitfulness. Amen? We need to recognize the seasons that we are in. We live our life in seasons, but we experience this God-given life according to the measure of the faith and to the measure of maturity that we enjoy at that time. That's why the word says you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After you successfully go through your training period and you have successfully embraced it, learned from it, and submit it to what God wanted to do. Now, if we want to achieve greatness in the sight of the Lord, we must submit to the process, however long it takes, because it takes more than just physical, mental, or emotional strength to fulfill the call of God. It takes primarily spiritual strength and fortitude. Amen? Now, the deserts, the Bible speaks of, are hard and difficult places. They are places of training, places of learning to obey God, a place where you learn to deny yourself and also to discern His voice from every other voice. How, how would you learn to recognize His voice? So many voices coming at you. Is this me? Is this the enemy? Is this the Lord speaking to me? All of those things, God takes you through a process of training and learning how to hear His voice, how to deny self, how to respond to situations. The scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, talking to the children of Israel, you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. For what purpose? To humble you, to test you, 
to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, God knew what was in their heart, but they didn't know. You only know what's in your heart when you hit the heart place. And you say, wow, was that inside of me? The things that come out of you when you're being pressured. You, you, you step back and you say, wow, I didn't know that was in me. That anger, that bitterness, that unforgiveness, all of a sudden comes to the surface. But you wouldn't have known that was in your heart until you hit the heart place. So God said to his people, I, I have taken you through the wilderness in order to humble you. God places you in situations in order to divorce you from your self-confidence and self-reliance. He said, you have an opportunity there to humble yourselves. And instead of humbling yourselves, you began to rebel. And I have tested you so that you may know what is in your heart. Otherwise you wouldn't have known. Am I right? So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that a man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. And you should know in your heart that as a father chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens, chastens you. That's discipline. The, the wilderness, the desert, is a form of discipline that God takes us through. That's why when we go through those, those hard times, we are encouraged by the word not to give up not to be discouraged but to look unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith and to be strengthened by him and to remember what he went through and then the scripture says you have not resisted sin yet unto blood in other words be encouraged be strengthened God is forming you, disciplining you, fashioning your character, maturing you and growing you so that you can successfully steward the blessing that God wants to bestow on you. Amen? So, the children of Israel after their exodus from Egypt went through the desert with Moses. There they experienced the discipline of the Lord. They were being prepared for the promised land. Sadly, as you know, most of them didn't make it up. Only Joshua and Caleb graduated from the deserts. And they went on to receive the blessing and the promise of their promised land that God promised them. Scripture says John became great. John the Baptist. He was not born great, but he became great through the process the Lord put him through in the deserts. Remember that John the Baptist remained in the desert until the day of his manifestation to Israel. Imagine <laughs> the loneliness that he experienced in the desert, the hardships he experienced. Scripture doesn't tell us much about that. But imagine you being in the desert alone, wandering for many years, just you and God alone. 
he must have he must have dealt with with things that you and I cannot imagine there he was trained there God had his all attention his attention was devoted to the Lord and to the call that God placed on his life that's why when the day came where God presented him to Israel he was filled with fire and many he never did a, a noted miracle never raised anyone but he raised a spiritually dead nation. Imagine the power that was in him, the authority that he carried. It was because of the training that he received. Now, the secret, of course, is process. The secret is development through training and being mentored by God and by those whom God appointed over you to train you, to equip you, to develop you, and to mentor you. Now look at the great athletes who win medals. Every single one of those athletes, what do they have in common? They have competent trainers, coaches. And you know, they, you don't win medals by doing your own thing or whatever you think is best. No. You submit to the process in order to become a great athlete. Am I right? And so it's not just you and God. It's also you and the person or persons God brings into your life in order to equip you, in order to mentor you, to disciple you. You may not recognize who they are. And if you don't recognize who they are, how would you be able to be trained by them? And many, many Christians today, even pastors, they don't have anyone who ministers, who talks, who speaks into their lives. They are isolated and alone. All they do is minister and give and give. But who gives to them? Who mentors them? Who ministers to them? That's why many of them quit the ministry. Many of them burn out. Because they don't have a person in their lives. They don't have because they've never asked for one. Or they don't see the need for one. Recently, Pastor Frank gave a testimony at our church. And he said some very profound things. He said, a man without a family will face famine. Spiritual family. A man without alignment or a person without alignment has no inheritance. And a person without a father cannot go any further. Amen? So, and that's what pastors are supposed to do. They're supposed to father people. Not just stand behind the pulpit and give them sermons, but take a personal interest in the lives of those whom God has given them. Pray for them. Watch over their souls. That's what Scripture says. You watch over their souls. And when you watch over their souls, God lets you know things that go on in that person's life for you to pray about or for you to approach the person that you are watching over and encourage them and help them and comfort them at times. Are you listening to me? And so it's not just you and God and what you are going through, it's you and the people God brings into your life to mentor you. Now, Joseph learned obedience by the things that he suffered. 
And the word of God says, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now, process, the process that God takes us through requires faith on our part to make peace with it. Without faith, you cannot. You will rebel. It requires a lot of trust in God, in who He is, in order not to rebel against what God is doing in your life. Circumstances facing us may be very challenging and severe, but God promises that He would not. And this very promise has become great encouragement to me throughout the years. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear or to endure. But with the test, the temptation, the trial, He will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That promise alone has been a great encouragement and comfort to me through year, throughout the years. When things were so severe, when the pressure was so heavy, that promise became a refuge for me. Lord, you are faithful. You will not allow me to be tempted, to be tested above what I can bear. Because there are times when you feel, I can't take this anymore. The pressure is so much that is upon you. And you say, well, well, in the earlier years, I used to get in my car and run away until I learned how to go to the Lord. And so you have the promise. God knows your breaking point. He knows it. You don't, but He does. So you've got to trust Him that He will not allow you to be tested or tempted above what you're able to be. Our greatest enemy is pride. Amen? Amen? The essence of pride is, of course, self-reliance and self-confidence. It is trusting in ourselves rather than trusting in God. The pressures we experience and the trials we face in life have one goal in mind, and that is to bring us to the end of our self-reliance. Remember that. They are not designed to break us, but to humble us. That's why God said to the nation of Israel, I brought you through the desert so that I may humble you. Are you listening to me? Now, Jeremiah says, for those who are self-confident and self-reliant and trust in man rather than trusting in God, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see good when it comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. That's the person who trusts in the flesh, is cursed. The person who trusts in himself, and relies on himself or in man, is cursed according to the Word of God. But the person who trusts in the Lord is blessed. And though you put him in a land of famine, he will still prosper. He will make that land a fruitful land. 
because of the blessing of the Lord that is upon him. And that blessing is a result of his faith and trust in the living God. So how is God going to divorce you from your self-confidence? He brings the pressure. He brings the test. He brings the trial. He, brings the, he allows these hardships to come your way. That's God's way of divorcing you and I from our self-confidence and self-reliance. So that we can enter into the strength of God. Now Paul the Apostle explains this very well in his epistle. Listen to this. This portion of scripture has great significance in what I'm sharing with you today. You need to study that for your own self. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, 9, and 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul the Apostle explains what I'm talking to you about very well in this portion of scripture. Listen to what he says. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, in the hardships, in persecutions, in troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now listen to what you, many misinterpret this portion of Scripture. But Paul said, because God blessed him with an abundance of revelation knowledge, Satan sent a messenger to buffet him or to torture him or to strike him wherever he went. Notice, God did not give him the thorn. Because some people believe that God gave him the thorn. He gave him the revelations from one hand and from the other hand he gave him the thorn. God is not schizophrenic. Paul says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, and then he tells us what that thorn was. A messenger from Satan. God doesn't need Satan to do his work. Are you listening to me? Satan got mad at Paul as a result of what Paul knew and what he preached. So he wanted to stop him. In order to stop him, he sent this messenger, messenger or an angel from Satan with a specific assignment. Buffet him, torture him, strike him, persecute him. He goes on to say what that born was. Listen to what he says. He says that it was persecution, hardships, weaknesses, insults, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Do you see that? That was the thorn. It wasn't sickness. It was a specific messenger. <laughs> you know, there is a messenger assigned to this ministry. We need to understand that, that our war is not against flesh and blood. It is against spiritual wickedness that are sent to oppose and to stop there is a messenger sent. 
to trouble, to cause trouble, persecution, and all of that. And Paul wanted this thorn, or this messenger, from Satan removed. And he prayed to God three times that God would take him away. God's response to Paul was, My grace is sufficient for you. Stop focusing on the thorn and start focusing on my grace. Because that's what we do most times when we go through hardships or a test or a trial. We tend to focus far too much on the trial and not enough focus on the grace. Or on the word of God or on the promises of God. Because it's, it is seen, it is painful. So, Paul says... God, take this thorn away from me. And God was saying, trust my grace. It's sufficient for you to overcome whatever the devil sends against you. Isn't this what we do when we go through hardships or difficult times? What's your first response? The flesh. Relief. <laughs> Relief. Lord, get me out of this situation. I can't take it anymore. It's killing me. God says, good. That is what I'm after. I want to kill that self-confidence and self-reliance that you have been carrying all this time. I want to destroy that pride in you. <laughs> Do we see it that way? Lord, take it away. <laughs> I can't take this anymore. God is saying, trust my grace. Focus on me, focus on my promises, on my word. It's sufficient for you because no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. It's a promise from God. You will defeat every tongue that rises up against you. Your righteousness is of me. So fear not. Well, the Lord wanted Paul and us to learn how to rely on God's grace in order to find the strength that we need. Listen, when you come to the end of your strength, that's when you step into God's strength. Not before. When you come to the end of yourself, that's when God opens up His grace to you. And you step into God's rest and He begins to work on your behalf. Because you've learned to trust Him. Amen? Amen? He doesn't need your help. He can do it all on His own. When God gets ready to bless you, all you need to do is just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't try. He doesn't need your help. He can do it. The day you stop trying is when God starts working. Amen? Paul says, he's learned, and then he said, For when I'm weak, then I am strong. In other words, he was saying, when I come to the end of myself through weakness, that is when I enter into Christ's grace, which enables me to do all things, even to the point of taking pleasure and rejoicing in hardships and persecutions and insults and trouble. I rejoice, he says. I've learned. Thank God, he said, I'm weak. Because when I'm weak, then I am strong in Christ. That's what he was saying. Another time, he said to the Corinthians, 
we had the death sentence in ourselves. You know, he says, the pressure was so strong, we gave up all hope. We had the death sentence in ourselves, but we trusted in God who raises the dead. And later on, he testifies how the Lord delivered him from all of those troubles. He said, and he delivered me from the mouth of the lion. And he will deliver me and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. That is a testimony of victory. That's not defeat. He did not deny the troubles that he was going through. He did not deny what he was facing. But he was giving glory to God because his grace was sufficient to help him overcome whatever the enemy threw at him. We have an enemy. You have an enemy assigned to you to harass you, to distract you, and to thwart you from God's purpose in your life. And you need to learn how to trust God to overcome those things and to fulfill the divine call that is on your life, whatever that call might be. So be encouraged. That is why Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, look unto Jesus. When you're going through these situations, look unto Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of your faith, who endured the cross and despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he says, consider him. When you're going through this difficult challenge, consider the Lord, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he chastens. So that's the value of the trials you're going through. Next time you go through a test or through a trial or through pressure, Say, Lord, I embrace this in the name of the Lord, and I thank you for what you are teaching me and the way you're training me through this trial. I ask for wisdom. That is why James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind comes your way, consider it as an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, so when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. God is bringing you into maturity. So embrace and thank God your training. It's part of His purpose and it's part of His plan. Amen? Whatever you're facing, maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe somewhere else, God is in it. God is in it. And I think it was Tozer who said, there's a beautiful quote from him. He says, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org. Dot ZA.